Hey guys, uh, welcome to Classics in 30 here on the Music Frenzy Radio Network. This is John, Monday night. Hope your Monday started off really well. For me it did, pretty good day today. And uh, we're going to keep the fun going with uh, my interview with Mr. Harry Shearer. Yes, Mr. Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap. And of course, uh, Harry does a lot of the voices on my favorite animated show, The Simpsons. We conducted an interview last week. I'll get into how it it came about um, and how we pulled it off. I didn't speak to him um, on the phone like we normally would, but um, we did get a good interview, and we'll play that shortly. But for this half hour, I want to focus on uh, Spinal Tap, um, just a classic movie. I mean, it came out in March of uh, 84, and, um, <laughs> you know, just so many funny scenes. Um, you know, a, a guy like me who went to a lot of metal shows, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, um, I remember, you know, seeing big elaborate stage shows and, you know, bands just don't do that anymore. I mean, you know, they might have some lights and so forth and, you know, but the stage is always clean and it's not like it used to be. And, you know, one of my couple of my favorite scenes in Spinal Tap is how they portrayed some of that stuff. So we're going to pretty much stick to um, Spinal Tap uh, for this episode of Classics in 30. And uh, so right now, let's play, <laughs> we're going to play Stonehenge. Um, anyone who has not seen the movie, uh, number one, shame on you. And number two, um, the uh, scene in this movie is that the band's on stage playing live, and they have this big, elaborate Stonehenge models that come onto the stage. However, they are only about three foot tall, if that, as opposed to being this really large, Stonehenge, they're just miniatures, and you know, it's it just a hysterical scene. But anyway, so I wanted to kick off the music uh, with uh, Stonehenge, and we're gonna go right into our interview with Harry Shearer. So enjoy. In ancient times, hundreds of years before the dawn of history race of people, the Druids. No one knows who they were, or what they were doing. Show you how 
Spinal Tap um, The Little Children of Stonehenge uh, You gotta love it um, Okay, so we're gonna get into our interview with Harry Shearer uh, Let me set it up So um, I had gotten uh, a really cool press release um, Harry um, is going to be getting an award on July 13th uh, in Nashville From the National Music Council And it's the American Eagle Award And it's gonna be Harry along with uh, Crystal Gale and Patti Smith are getting this award, you know, for their work in music, and so I, you know, I put out to his publicist if I can get an interview, and we tried to do it by phone, but, um, you know, Harry's obviously a busy guy, um, with the Simpsons, and with his, uh, with his, uh, internet show, um, he's got a lot of stuff going on, and just didn't happen by phone, so what he did for me, I sent him, uh, my questions, he sent me back an mp3, of uh, the answers so in order to make tonight's interview flow for you listeners what i did is that i recorded my questions as if i was uh, asking them to him so you'll hear me ask the question and then harry answer but you know i just want to preface it by saying that we did not speak you know like a normal phone call so you know just so we're clear about that but anyway so um yeah so here's our interview with harry shearer Hey, John, it's Harry Shearer. Mr. Harry Shearer, what a great opportunity to chat with you today. Glad to uh, talk to you. Being a 50-year-old man, I've been able to enjoy so much of your work, including, obviously, on The Simpsons and the movie This Is Spinal Tap. Um, congratulations on being recognized by the National Music Council with the American Eagle Award, along with Crystal Gale and Patti Smith. Um, what's it mean to you to be recognized like this? First of all, I have to say, if you're in show business... Um, it's important to be recognized anywhere, anytime. I'm always amused by people who say, after they've gotten into show business and spent 20 years working at it, I want to be left alone. Really a bit contradictory and uh, anomalous. I'm, in this particular instance, very grateful to be what I guess would best be described most accurately as the token male in the list of recipients of this prestigious award. And I uh, just honored to be the, uh, what I guess you can call the, the token male in this evening's presentation. And um, I uh, have high hopes of being able to inspire my, my colleagues of the male persuasion by breaking through the glass floor. National Music Council Director David Sanders was quoted as saying, Each year the National Music Council carefully chooses a very small group of music creators, artists, educators, and advocates to honor for their truly remarkable contributions to American and global musical culture. We all know you from the cult classic This Is Spinal Tap. What other work have you done to garner this recognition? Well, I, I have, um, as a matter of fact, yes, I've been involved with Spinal Tap, but also wrote um, and performed a bunch of the songs in A Mighty Wind. I wrote a couple of the tunes, co-wrote a couple of the tunes with Christopher Guest for his first um uh, improvisational movie waiting for guffman and i've done uh, four albums worth of satirical music uh under uh, under my own name uh two of which have been grammy nominated and as you know it's uh 
such a, a privilege just to be almost nominated. So uh, there's that. And um, I do a lot of uh, musical performance, um, one of one iteration of which will be uh, forthcoming very soon. I can't talk about it yet, but it will stun the world and maybe break the Internet. So uh, aside from that, nothing at all. On July 13th in Nashville at the Summer NAM show, you'll be given this award. How hard will it be to not cut off all of Crystal Gale's long-flowing locks? <laughs> Iconic, you know? I think the only question uh, I, I have with regard to uh, Crystal's long-flowing locks is how can Derek, um, what, what conditioner can Derek Smalls use that would, would help um, achieve the same look in about half the time? Being I have a music show, I'm going to steer the interview towards Spinal Tap. Um, this film really is about hard rock and metal. Are you a fan of the music? And if so, what bands do you dig? Um, I'm a fan of a lot of different kinds of music. Uh, I certainly grew up with the bands that uh, set the set the table for hard rock. I, that is to say, the Stones, the Who, uh, all those bands from the... Uh, the classic age of rock and roll. Hey, stay tuned. But um, and I I, um, I do I do love a lot of the later bands. Um, I'm a sucker for um, uh, in in recent years, for example, the Australian band Jet, uh, and uh, a, a lot of the bands in between. I can't say I was a a true heavy metal fan uh, because that would be lying. But uh, I did I, when we were preparing to make. Uh, Spinal Tap, we went, uh, the, f- the four of us, Rob, Chris, Michael, and I went to a concert by Judas Priest at the Long Beach Arena, and it was uh, stunning. It was absolutely remarkable. And, I'm, and I also have to say, um, when we played the Live Earth concert at Wembley Stadium a few years back, I guess it was, uh, you, can, you, can check, you can check your calendar on that, um, we followed Metallica. Stupid enough that we were doing that. Uh, but we were in the wings waiting to go on as Metallica were playing. And I have to say, I, I've never seen a display of pure rock and roll power to equal what uh, Metallica was doing on that stage. And then Robert Trujillo came out and played the Big Bottom, one of the 19 bass players, because everybody who was playing bass that day at uh, Live Earth came and joined us for Big Bottom. And Robert, uh, in in... Do with due respect to everybody else out there, Robert just stole the show with his absolute rock and roll power. So there is that. I recall interviewing Greg Lake of Emerson Lake of Palmer, and I had asked him if, when he was writing "Lucky Man," did he feel the song would be as revered as it is now? So I'll ask you the same question. Um, when you guys were putting together Spinal Tap, was there any feeling that it was something that would connect with us metalheads as much as it did? First of all, I do uh, revere Lucky Man as much as the next person, if not more so. We, When we were uh, trying to get the movie approved for production, uh, we were in the habit of saying, you know, this story is familiar to millions and millions and millions of people because it's based on what they read every day in Rolling Stone and see every day uh, in the documentaries that were being, being churned out about rock and roll bands at that point in time. So it was not unfamiliar. It was not arcane material to them. And it was real. Uh, so we thought that it would would uh, hit a chord, 
so to speak, with the audience. I don't think, even in our wildest dreams, we anticipated that the the movie would have the currency and the life that it has enjoyed. Uh, I think anytime you're involved with something that's that's got a lifespan like this, and I've been involved with two projects that have this and, and a certain TV show, uh, anybody who says, yeah, we knew uh, up front that it was going to be, they're lying. <laughs> it's always a surprise. It's usually a fluke, and it's uh, a miracle. I have a 25-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old son, and I've watched the movie with both of them because concerts now have n- none of the stage props that bands had back in the 80s. The pods, the Stonehenge props. Um, where do those ideas come from? We basically had just absorbed all this stuff that was going on in rock and roll at that point. Uh, and as the, you know, the, the form was in the 10 years between, let's say, the mid-70s, the mid-80s, morphing from basically bands standing on stage and playing their music to productions and more and more elaborate and pretentious productions in many cases. And so we were sort of inundated with all this imagery of... Um, greater and lesser degrees of creativity being put uh, on stage uh, at great expense. And so, you know, there was a multiplicity of bands. There's very few instances where we can say, oh, this came directly from that band. Most of, uh, much of what was going on in Spinal Tap came from what we had either heard about or experienced ourselves. So, for example, the Air Force Base experience uh, came from the guy who was our original keyboard player, but because it took us so much time to get the movie approved, he said, I have to go on the road. i got to make some money. So he went off with Uriah Heep, and he came back after a year. We were just about to do the movie, and we said we sat down with him, and we said, well, what was it like? And he told us the story of the experience that became the Air Force Base. And um, I was in New York at some point uh, during the preparatory stages of the film, and uh, a friend of mine, old friend of mine, had long been the uh, co-manager of the Grateful Dead. And he said, well, the Dead's playing Madison Square Garden. You want to come? I said, sure, I'd love to. And uh, so I'm walking into the garden. And the garden at that point had two venues, the main big arena and then the smaller uh, kind of arena. And it's a circular building, and you just walk around till you find the right door. And I found the wrong door and walked into a lightweight boxing match at the other arena. And I told the story to the, the guys, and that sort of morphed into the, the Hello Cleveland incident. So, so much of it uh, came from what we knew ourselves or what our friends had told us. And then the rest, as I say, came from just watching this, this panoply of pretension that was taking over rock and roll. Were there any other ideas for props that were tossed around but left out? I mean, Ozzy hung a midget on stage for the love of God. <laughs> um, I think almost every prop notion that we had got ended up getting included in the film. I don't remember. Michael is sort of the uh, the class historian of everything, and um, he, he might know if, if I'm forgetting something, but I think... Because if you if you go to the trouble of get something built, getting something built, uh, you pretty much want to get your money's worth by putting it in the film. But I think everything we had thought up as a in terms of props uh, got into the final final product. Harry, was the movie scripted like most are? I think I read once that a lot of lines were just ad libbed. No, the uh, Spinal Tap was not scripted at all, with the exception of two lines which we wrote for. Uh, 
the, the head of Polymer Records uh, as his toast to us. Everything else was uh, improvised, not ad-libbed. It's important for uh, us to make the distinction because ad-libbing is about talking, improvising is about listening. And so what we gave the cast and the crew was what would look today like a proper motion picture script where the dialogue had entirely been redacted by the CIA. So there's stage directions telling you who's in the scene and what's the sort of big going on in the scene, but there is no dialogue. And so it was the job of every actor in concert with every other actor in that scene to first of all tell the story that was embodied in that scene. And because we hired funny people, the supposition was that something funny would happen as a result. But there were no, aside from the you know the props or the things like the amps that go to eleven, there were there were no scripted lines that people had to say. Uh, you just had to tell the story of what was happening in that scene. Harry, when people run into you in public, do they ask you more about Spinal Tap or about The Simpsons or just other stuff that you've done? One of the good things about doing a lot of different stuff is that I can never predict what people are going to uh, ask me about or refer to in, when they recognize me. Uh, the good thing about that is you don't get bored by your interactions with the audience. If you do one thing that you're famous for and nothing else, it can possibly get tiresome when people just keep approaching you with that one thing over and over again. Uh, so I'm very fortunate people ask me about or talk, want to talk to me about TAP, about The Simpsons, about my radio show, about various other projects I've done. Um, I think the number of 11 is bandied about a lot when uh, people refer to Spinal Tap in my presence. Um, and very often they'll quote a line from the film and then expect me to come up with the next line. And I have to exp- <laughs> explain with some embarrassment that I hadn't seen the movie in about... Oh, you know, 25 years. So I'm not I'm not as up and on it as I should be. You know, to me, part of the brilliance of the movie is not only the great work you, Chris, Rob, and Mike did, but the cameos are insane. How did you guys get so many people to play these different parts? I'm sure your work with SNL helped. We, um, we had a wonderful series of auditions. Uh, since the film was not scripted, people came into the audition with nothing to read and nothing to uh, basically audition for they were there to have conversations with us um if they didn't know that before they came into the room and uh, since they hadn't been handed any pages they certainly realized it when we sat down and the the our job was all four of us were involved in these auditions our job was basically just to get as good a sense as we could of the improvisational um chops of the people sitting with us and also how they looked, how they talked, the usual stuff that you look at in an audition. So, uh, for example, when Fran Drescher came in, I think we all looked at each other within five seconds and went, "That she's it, that's it, that's exactly who that person is. Uh, and and, uh, and in some cases, there were longer processes that went on. But uh, it was for us, it was a fun a series of auditions because uh, it was just playing with people and, and not in a, a malicious way, in a collaborative way to see how well it might fit into this kind of situation because of course at that time this wasn't being done a lot so you were asking actors to sort of try on a new pair of trousers uh, metaphorically speaking of course there was no changing of clothing during the auditions and see uh, how well they fit 
Over the years, I'm sure you've been asked a million times about a sequel. Was there ever any real thought about doing a sequel for This Is Spinal Tap? Interesting. Um, we've been asked a million times about this. Um, we pretty much came to a consensus after we'd done the film that we had done the film we wanted to do. We'd said what we wanted to say. Um, we had the insights we wanted to spread and the uh, the idea of, of doing it again or going back to the material just was not interesting to any or, and all of us. And we've been pretty consistent and fervent about that. And I think time has proved us uh, right. Um, you know, we, we lived in dread. And I, I have to say, obviously, if any of us or all of us had been in dire need of money, we would have done exactly the opposite. But fortunately, we, we were able to make this decision based, as I say, partly on the dread of people coming up to us for the rest of our lives and saying, gee, were you guys that hard up for money? You had to do that. Um, we did have a great, great karmic twist experience because many of the same studio executives when we were trying to pitch the original film who had looked at us as if we were crazy and said <laughs> not in a million years um, within 10 years were running after us with fistfuls of dough saying how about a sequel and we got to say no to them Harry once again congratulations on a recognition and it's been an honor to talk to you sir thank you thanks very much it's a, it's a, again it's a great honor and great to talk to you
All right, well, there you have Spinal Tap with Big Bottom. Uh, classic, classic song. Again, classics in 30. you got to play that classic song. So hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Harry. It was, you know, <laughs> obviously very cool to hear how some of the scenes came about and, of course, the cameos with uh, Fran Drescher and so forth. And, you know, just just get some of the insight as to how all that came about. It's very cool. So um, we're going to wrap up tonight. Every time I think about this is Spinal Tap, and again, especially the Stonehenge scene, I think about Iron Maiden. So I'm going to wrap this up with the uh, long version of Aces High. Um, also because I heard it on the way home from work today, and it just it just reminded me of what a great uh, band that is, and a great, and great song, Aces High. And I tied that into uh, me digging the uh, Stonehenge scene from This is Spinal Tap. So, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the uh, interview with Harry Shearer. Uh, you guys have a good night, and uh, this is Aces High, Iron Maiden. Good night. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender.